genre. podcast where we review, discuss, and recap every episode of Doctor Who, one doctor at a time. I'm Cassandra Fredrickson. I'm Scott Corelli. And I'm Nick Jimenez. And today on the show, we'll be discussing Attack of the Cybermen, which is the Sixth Doctor's second story. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so I've got a little bit of uh, interesting background with this one. Please. Um, and because uh, because here's the thing. And and uh, yeah, OK, so I'll just get right to it. So first off, this episode is directed by Matthew Robinson, who previously directed Resurrection of the Daleks, which this is a sort of like side sequel to um, that episode. That's where the character of Lytton comes from. Um, and it's written by Paula Moore. Uh, Paula Moore not being a real person. Uh, Paula Moore is a pseudonym that has, <laughs> has, has four possible people who could have actually written this episode. Oh, I so love this already. So there's actually, <laughs> there's actually no, uh, the, because it's a pseudonym, there is app, there is actually no, uh, real credit as to who wrote it. So there's a lot of theories. Um, so the one, the biggest, the biggest factor in all of this, Harlan Ellison, is that no, the biggest factor <laughs> in all of this is Eric Sayward, the uh, script editor at the time, which, um, which at the time in Classic Who, uh, for for listeners who are only familiar with New Who and for Nick. Uh, there were two producer roles on Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. One was the producer, uh, who was more of a production overall, uh, like kind of like production, like overall controller, uh, in the way he, the, the pop pop, if you will. Um, and then there's the script editor who is like the Stephen Moffat, uh, Russell T Davies person. Right now, we just have showrunners who are just sort of like an all-encompassing thing. But back then, you had two; they, they, these were two very separate jobs. Um, and so, on the creative side, you had Eric Sayward, who was the uh, script editor at the time, and then you had John Nathan Turner, who was the producer, the pop pop. Um, sure. So, <laughs> so uh, magnitude. Right. So, so Eric, <laughs> well, I was pop, pop, like from yeah, the, yeah. from, yeah, okay. Uh, so, so anyway, um, so Eric Sayward as script editor, one of the rules in writing for the BBC was that if you were script editor, you were hiring all the writers, which meant because you weren't writing a, you weren't hiring a writer's room, you were, you were hiring writers for specific episodes. You at the time as script editor, you were not allowed to commission yourself as a writer. 
So what would happen inevitably, and this happened a lot during the Eric Sayward era, and this happened a lot during uh, uh, a couple of other eras as well. Um, but what would happen inevitably is that the script editor would be forced to write a script because of time or circumstances. And in a way of getting around the rules, they would come up with a pseudonym and then that pseudonym would take credit for writing the script. And then like no one would get paid essentially. <laughs> um, it's really weird, but it's like a show must go on kind of thing. So in this particular case, the biggest factor is that Eric Sayward obviously had to have some hand in writing the script. And the reason is because there would be no reason to use a pseudonym otherwise. Mm. So there are, there are three possible things and then a fourth one that is hilarious. Um, so there is Eric Sayward and a woman named Paula Woosley. And this is the one that most people believe is the case. Paula Woosley was Eric Sayward's girlfriend at the time and would become his ex-girlfriend later because she would end up getting all of the money for Attack of the Cybermen um, through, you know, sure. legal means, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah. So Eric Sayward, the, the first theory is that Eric Sayward came up with the story, gave it to Paula Woosley. This was her first screenplay ever. She wrote it and then he rewrote it almost entirely. And then Paula Moore is Paula with like a fake last name, essentially. The other version of this is a man named Ian Levine who was the unofficial fan advisor to the to the Doctor Who continuity. Um he was a he was a friend of John Nathan Turner and he supposedly came up with the ideas for this and then Eric Sayward wrote the script and then they came they used Paula Moore and Paula Moore he named it Paula after his girlfriend but she didn't have any direct uh <laughs> have any direct actual like writing for it. She oh didn't do God. anything for it. And then the third option is a combination of Paula Woosley, Ian Levine and Eric Sayward. Um, the one that is the one, the, the one that actually has come out very recently in the past, like few years is the fourth option, which is Ian Levine claims he wrote all of it. Huh. Okay. Um, <laughs> Ian Levine is a guy who is very outspoken about his work on Doctor Who. He thinks that this era and the Sylvester McCoy era owes a lot to him. And he thinks that he hasn't gotten a fair shake as far as credit, where credit is due, sure. as the unofficial fan advisor of the show. Um, and he claims that he wrote Attack of the Cybermen in perpetuity. Like he should own all all of it, everything that it, that is in it, it was his idea, and he wrote every word, according to him. However, according to Eric Sayward, he states that Ian only produced a couple of pages that contained an idea, a very brief outline for the story. And at the end of the day, Eric Sayward actually wrote the entire thing. Yes, Ian came up with some ideas, uh, and, and he says that I, he will credit him for that, but he gives the impression that the whole concept was his and that Sayward just wrote it up, but that's not what happened. <laughs> um, and then he says, despite what Ian says, 
Paula did make a minor contribution. Uh, Paula Woosley. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ian claims that she had nothing to do with the episode whatsoever and that he just named the pseudonym after her. Um, but Eric Sayward claims that Paula did make a, make a, a minor contribution. Singular. Um, although she gets all of the money, which is in particular, particularly fair, quote, we don't talk anymore, unquote. <laughs> Man. And let me, let me, let me, let me just, let's put all of this in perspective and know that the, the script that they're all fighting over is Attack of the Cybermen. No, it's terrible. Like, this isn't exactly City on the Edge of Forever. No. <laughs> no. Um, so yeah, Paula Moore, uh, pseudonym. And this is, this will not, this will certainly, this was not the first time, and it certainly will not be the last time that we will talk about a pseudonym on this show. But I will say it's probably the most contentious. <laughs> it's sort of like, it, it's sort of in that, you know, quote, golden era of like comic books where, you know, no one took really this very seriously. So the, the matter of credit is very murky because, you know, n- no one was, no one was taking down the minutes back then. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's how that worked. Um, what do you, do you think that it's got? I think, I think it's what Eric Sayward said. Because because what he says doesn't sound like bragging. It just sounds like a dude who is doing his job. Mm-hmm. Um, and like he has nothing to gain from it because like he said, I don't make any money from this story. Right. <laughs> so I I feel like I, I think I think he's right. I think he wrote it. I think his girlfriend at the time, Paula, wrote bits of it or a bit of it. And I think that Ian may have came up with the story, but that's that's it. So I, I think it's probably the combination of all all uh, all four, three, four, three, three, all three. One of them's not real. Yeah, yeah, right. You're right, and Cassandra. What's your theory? Uh, my theory is that I don't know. I wish this story didn't exist, honestly. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it was the Earl of Stratford. <laughs> That would be uh, because she was really queen. He was Queen Elizabeth's bastard son. <laughs> oh, Just like man. Jack the Ripper. This story. Um, so, yeah. Have you heard that theory that Jack the Ripper was actually like like royalty and that's how like no one ever caught him was mm-hmm. because they like hid it away? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. He's like the, the, the queen's like bastard son. Weird. Okay. Queen yeah. You've never heard that theory before? No, now I'm gonna like oh, yeah. look it up after we're done. <laughs> yeah, like like, like yeah. he was like it's a really it's a really good one. It's the one that I I think is probably true. It was like imagine like Queen Victoria is like Joffrey, just like the shame of the the royal family, but they like had to keep it under wraps because it would ruin the the, the royal line. Right. You know, uh-huh. they raised Jack the Ripper. That's mm-hmm. crazy. Um so anyway, uh, weirdly, that's keeping in tone with the story. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Jack the Ripper. Because where are we? Um, yeah. So, so I will say, uh, I I will say one of the things that I noticed in this is it really feels like Eric Sayward, who I I do believe wrote most of it. Um, I, it really feels like this is Eric Sayward trying really hard 
to be um uh uh man I did Robert Holmes. And the reason that I say and I'm not saying he's succeeding. <laughs> he's certainly no, not succeeding. No. But but the thing that I noticed while watching this is it has a lot of Holmes touches little a lot of Holmes style flares that he doesn't pull off any of them but they're <laughs> there they're there in the way that like like someone told him that this is how his stories work and then he did it but he didn't actually watch any of them to see how he how he did it mm-hmm. and the the reason I say that is because there are a lot of characters in this story that have very distinct personalities and have their own journeys that they're going on in, in a, and they're all very um, sort of like down to earth, like kind of like schmozy guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, you know, and, and that is a Holmesian trick. Like that's a thing that he loves to do. Yeah. That's a dirty Holmesian trick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, and so, yeah, I, I, I found that from that perspective, I found this story, um, interesting. Uh, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. We'll get to it. So, okay. Let's talk about part one. Why not? So we start with, um, some worker guys, some sewer workers, uh, getting attacked underground by something we don't see, uh, a POV shot. That's like some super eighties, like saved by the bell static. Um, and then, uh, I wish the doctor, we go to the TARDIS and the doctor is fixing the chameleon circuit because he says that it's been a long time. It's long overdue. Should have done this forever ago. I'm finally going to fix the chameleon Mm -hmm. circuit and it's going to be awesome. It's like he's finally taken the car into the garage. Yeah. And Perry says, you know, you're still – this doesn't seem like a thing the doctor should be caring about. You are probably still unstable from from having just regenerated, which I find really interesting because typically with Classic Who, the companions stop referencing the fact that the doctor has regenerated by the time the second story rolls around. Mm-hmm. Like they, they're done referencing the fact that they're a new doctor they're because already- they – they're already used to it. Yeah. They just yeah. want the audience. Everybody wants the audience to just move on. Right. But with this case, they did that stupid thing where they introduced the new doctor as the season finale of last season. Right. And so, you know, coming in to this season, they need to remind everybody where they are. And they had a chance to hear everyone, you know, complain about this new doctor and how much they hate him. And so they're just sort of, continuously reminding people, no, 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 this is the doctor now. It's fine. You'll get used to him. It's going to be good. We know he's there a jerk. He is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of that. And uh, the problem is that they don't write him very well because she says, you seem unstable. And the doctor's response is, that's dumb. You're dumb. And then she says, maybe you should rest. And he says, that's dumb. You're dumb. Um. <laughs> And that's sort of his general opinion of Perry as a person is anything that comes out of your mouth is dumb and you're dumb for saying it. And uh, it's a problem. Yeah, it's a it's a problem. It's, it's just really kind of I don't I and, and I and I remember us talking about it 
the first time that we that we met this doctor, but there's just it's not fun to watch the doctor be cruel to a companion because the doctor has all of the power in this relationship. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like it's like you're you're in my house, we go where I wanna go, and you can't leave. And it's just kind of like uncomfortable to watch and and you know, you I feel bad for Perry and I want Perry to like go home and I don't want her to be with this doctor anymore, you know, whereas, Mm -hmm. you know, when all the best relationships with the doctor and a companion are like, you know, welcome, I'm going to show you a good time and we can go wherever you want. And it's and I'm your I'm your imaginary friend slash boyfriend slash uncle slash dad, whatever you need me to be. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Let's go. And and and, you know, there's a kind of wish fulfillment to it, you know, and and you, you know, you want to be the companion. But, you know, this is almost like like watching like you know stockholm syndrome or like you know like act one of beauty and the beast yeah well i mean in a lot of ways this era is like you know i mean this this is this is essentially the dc cinematic universe of doctor who (laughs) um I, i mean it's it's dark and it's like dark for no reason it's a fundamental misunderstanding of the character it's very violent makes the yeah and what makes the character work it's uh it's 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 not great. It's not great. Not great, it's Bob. It's not great. Um so then we cut to uh a crew, a heist crew pulling up in front of a diamond exchange. And uh they want to go in there and they want to rob the place. They want to steal the diamonds as you do as a as a heist crew at pulling up outside of a diamond exchange. And they <laughs> are talking about how they're planning on doing this in a couple of weeks. And the leader of which, who we will later learn is uh, Lytton, which we would know had we watched um, Resurrection of the Daleks before this. Thanks, guys. Um, Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Um, It's a time travel show. It doesn't matter. It's fine. It's fine. Um, So, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny, though, because, like, when he's first introduced in this story, you're just like, he's introduced as... The literally the most eighties businessman that has ever businessed in the eighties. We're talking like Robocop meets blank check meets meets like uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Like yeah. it's I mean, he's just pinstripe suit, white collar, like he just looks like he stepped off of Wall Street. Yeah. Where the, the British in the bathroom. Yeah. It's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. Um he tells them all to get to work and you just kind of expect that he's just going to go in the bathroom and like just like jam a jam an eight ball. You know, like it just he just man, the most <laughs> 80s guy I, ever. I got to say immediately like my my thing watching it is I am I was so in when it was about bank robbers because it mm-hmm. just it, I just was getting such like a Matthew Vaughn guy Ritchie like bank job kind of vibe. You guys ever see the bank job? No. With, with, with Jason Statham, England, no. England's greatest actor. No, uh, it's 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 good. It's it's like it's set in the seventies, and he like doesn't kick people a lot. It's like actually like a movie. But yeah, I was I was getting really good. I was, he I was, doesn't was, kick people a lot, so only like half a dozen times. Sure, I mean, he, I mean, no, when he has to throw down, he has to throw down. My man, my man, <laughs> kick. But he he uses his brain to kick just as much as he uses his legs to kick in the bank job. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I was I was a bit like this. This episode has a lot of promise. <laughs> yeah. Like basically until the Cybermen show up 
and even a little bit after, but but not for lo- much longer after. Because mm-hmm. um, at that point, it's just a bunch of Cybermen at consoles doing stuff, and you're like, "What are you doing?" And, and there's no answer. They're just doing stuff at consoles. Yeah. Bleep, 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 bleep. Um, yeah. Uh, but but yeah. So then we cut back to so they 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 they're supposed to do it in two weeks, but the the boss uh, Litton. He says, no, 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 we're going to do it today. And they're like, today? Give a guy a little notice. And he's like, who needs notice? Let's do this. Um, and then we go back to the TARDIS, and he, they're they're flying past Haley's Comet. And uh, uh, <laughs> That's not a euphemism. No, they're flying past Haley's Comet, and uh, Perry says, Perry says, you know, Haley's Comet, only like only comes around this many you know so and so many years on the planet or across the planet and every time it does it's said to be uh an omen of of bad things to come and uh and the doctor just snorts and says that's dumb you're dumb there's a there, there there's a there's <laughs> he's consistent if nothing else yeah and it is and like I'm already kind of knowing how Hoovians what he, what Hoovians think of Perry, it just kind of like added to like, I really have a lot of sympathy for this character. And I, I, I think she's kind of underrated. Yeah. It's just unfortunate. Like, I think she could have been an interesting character. They just don't ever let her be interesting. Do people not like Perry? I thought I heard from you guys that, that people kind of didn't like her because of like her, her like outfits and stuff. Uh, I, Lady Hoovians, I don't think, tend to respect Perry as a character because they understand what she represents, which is sex appeal. Allowing some, yeah, yeah. allowing some <laughs> TNA on Doctor Who, yeah. Um, and and they made her like American, so there's like you know like the American bimbo stereotype. Sure, it's yeah, yeah. It's kind of it kind of reminds me of uh, what people used to. What I remember people first saying about Billy Piper with her being like a pop star. Yeah. Yeah. Although I, I would say that that was probably a little worse. Um, oh, yeah. This is more like we saw it all and now we have an opinion. Whereas like that was like a, a fandom online prejudgment, you know, so sure, fandom. Yeah. It would be like if Ariana Grande <laughs> was like a companion. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um. So the uh, the the heist crew are in the they've they've found a junkyard and they're going in the junkyard and there's a sewer entrance in the junkyard that they they all they need to do is break through uh, and they can go through the sewer and then they're gonna blow a hole at the bottom of the diamond exchange and then go up grab the diamonds and get out of there. Yes. Um, and at the same time, in that scrapyard, the TARDIS lands. And it turns out that the this this is this this is the this is the I am Foreman scrapyard, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I it was funny because I was watching it and I kept waiting for like the inevitable moment where they show the sign, but I I, don't, I must have missed it or something. Um, I think they have I don't know. like I the address because it's like seventy six Totters Lane, so they have like the address later, but I don't think they have the the sign. Oh, okay. Um. So yeah, so they're in the they're in the the scrapyard from the pilot, um, from an unearthly child, and it's just another another 
creative decision to reiterate that this is the doctor and look at how doctory he is. Look, he's in the scrapyard where Hartnell was. See, he's totally the doctor. <laughs> um, and then uh, they're leaving the scrapyard and he's got like this thing because uh, they've gotten a distress call and he's trying to track down where the distress call is coming from. So they're just like wandering around England and uh, uh, wandering around this neighborhood trying to track it down. And Perry is like, hey – you keep calling me your your brains are scrambled you keep calling me other names and he's like like what and she she names off um <laughs> this is the funniest thing cuz she names off she says you you've called me Tegan you called me Zoe and and at one point i can't believe this but you called you have the tenacity to call me Jamie and i was like i was like you you mean a girl's name like a normal girl's name like i know, I know that I know, I know who that, Jamie is, Doctor. Yeah, well, yeah. Like, I know that the joke is that that was a boy, but she wouldn't know that from the name. Right. I'm not gonna, I don't know. I think Jamie is like 60-40 a boy's name. Maybe back then it was. Maybe. Because I think it's Jamie from the last five years. I remember, I remember Jamie's in, uh, in 80s movies. Um, Girl Jamie's. Yeah. Uh, kind of like PJ. Like PJ Souls. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, um, it was it's like if you were going to do that, maybe not pick like a like a gender fluid name, like maybe pick like Ben or something. Right. Uh, at one point you call me Ben. At one point you call me Brigadier Leftbridge Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that's not right. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, so so, yeah. And he's very dismissive of her. That's dumb. You're dumb. Um <laughs> Just, just in general. I'm awesome. And and uh, and then he and then he, he he goes on a tirade about about Zoe and how amazing she was, uh, making Perry feel bad, um, because that's what he's really good at is making Perry feel bad. And then there's a, there's another reference that he actually uh, acknowledges as, as strange, but I didn't get it. What was it? There's one where she's like, "You even called me." It was, it was a villain. He was like, oh, that person out there was a villain. There was a, a, a worthy opponent. Bah, 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 bah. Oh. Hmm. It, but it wasn't. That. It wasn't. I remember. Long. I remember her, him saying that about Zoe, but he was talking about a companion and how smart and awesome oh. she was. OK, maybe that was it. OK, that's yeah. probably it. Um, so is this, is this the first example of of like reaching back to past eras, because it's the first one that I've seen in this kind of in this era of the show. No, no, because you saw um, in the first Fifth Doctor story when he was losing his mind, he was like wandering around the TARDIS, like doing impressions of the other doctors and and calling Tegan oh, by different right, okay, cool, different yeah. names, yeah. Um. So yeah, so they they're wandering around, and then eventually, and and the the heist crew were still like digging and stuff. I don't know. They're all in they're all in jumpsuits now. Like it, nothing really is happening with them. Um, get used to it. Yeah. Uh, so they find, they find like a garage where the, where the thing must be coming from. Um, and instead of going into the garage, they run away from the garage because the doctor figures something out. And then, uh, they go back to where the TARDIS is and they find these two cops are following them. And so d the doctor beats up one of the cops 
and Perry steals the gun of the other cop and it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to shoot you. And he's like, all right, all right. He makes Perry hold a gun up to this cop's head. Yeah. And then, uh, he handcuffs the other cop after beating up the first cop. And then, and then they're like, all right. Yeah. And he stole his hat. Um, (laughs) which the, which, which Perry almost shot him in the head as a result. Um, because that's the kind of story this is. Uh, and then the doctor's like, all right, well, uh, I think it's coming from the sewer. So let's, let's go on down to the sewer. And, and he goes down and then pops back up. He's like, come on. And you can just tell Perry's just like, ah, oh, why did they make me wear heels in this story? Oh my God. Um, and then she takes her heels and goes into the sewer with the doctor, which is ridiculous. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then the the heist crew run into Cybermen in the sewer. Yeah, and they They're shoot adorable. one with a gun, mm-hmm. and he's he sprays Cybermen blood everywhere. Yeah, um, I mean it's like it's like a Tarantino movie. Yeah, uh, it's like cyber and juice. yeah, just sprays everywhere. <laughs> like it hurts him. Like even- yeah, and then the eighties guy. Uh, well, I guess he's not super eighties guy anymore. Now he's just Litton because he's in the jumpsuit. Um, but Lytton says, uh, he's like, Hey, I came down here because I want to help you. And the Cybermen are like, LOL. Yeah, right. And he's like, no, I'm serious. I really, I really believe in what you guys are doing. You know, I know you're parked on the dark side of the moon. I love I that know, album. Yeah. I know <laughs> that you've got plans for earth and I'm into it. I brought these guys down here to sacrifice for you. So you could turn them into Cybermen. I want to help you guys out. Let's work together. And their Cybermen are like, hmm, I don't know. And he's like, come on. They're like, yeah, I guess we can trust you. I don't you. think you're cool enough. <laughs> um, so then, randomly, we cut to two guys in a rock quarry. Um, <laughs> as you do. As you do. Oh, doctor. And uh, Yeah. <laughs> And uh, these two guys in a rock quarry are apparently on another planet, and uh, uh, they Telos or Telos 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 um, Telros, isn't it? Tel Telos Telos Tel- Telos. Isn't there an R in there or no? No, it's T E L O S. Oh, Telos. Then I guess I don't know. Telos. Um, so they're on Telos, which the uh, Cybermen have taken control of, but have like totally like wiped of all of its resources, and they're ready to to, to get get out of there. Now it's just and a these, quarry. Yeah, now it's just a quarry. Um, <laughs> and so one of the only times in Doctor Who history where there's a reason for it to be a rock quarry. Um, and so the uh, these two guys, uh, there's a commotion, and then they run away from the group because they're slaves, and they're in silver jumpsuits. They look like they're wearing the same outfits as the Cybermen, but they're not Cybermen. They look like Dr. Evil's guards from the Austin Powers movies. Yeah, a little bit. A <laughs> little bit. Um, and so then uh, they're going to run away from the Cybermen, and they're like, okay. Uh, one of them is like, okay, I know how to get us off this planet – but we need a third person and we lost one of them because in the scuffle, one of them got shot and died. And he's like, okay, we're, there's only two of us now. So we need a third person, but let's figure that out later. Let's get to there first. It's in the, it's in the, uh, uh, cyber control room and we'll go there we'll get the ship and we'll get out of here. 
um, and everything will be great. And they're like, okay, let's do it. So they start crawling around the rock quarry. Um, and we keep coming back to them a lot in the second half of the, of the story, almost as if it was constructed as a four part story. Weird. Um, (laughs) and, and, uh, yeah, so we keep going back to them and literally all they're doing is bickering amongst each other and reiterating what their plan is. Um, that's all that they do. And, uh, yeah. So then, uh, Lytton, we get the re- revelation that Lytton is actually from Resurrection of the Daleks. And the doctor's like, oh, that guy. I hate that guy. Let's go stop that guy. Um, and then the Cybermen, they go back to the TARDIS. The Cybermen were waiting for them. They've invaded the TARDIS. And uh, it's it looks like it's going to be bad news. And we cut back to the two guys, the Rock Quarry. And they decide that they're going to fight. They're going to they're going to fight a Cyberman and they're going to steal its head. And the other guy, the dumb guy, the bald guy, there's a balding guy. And then there's a bald guy and the bald guy is like the dumb guy. And then the, the balding guy is like the Mo. He's like the, the brains of the operation. And so the balding guy is like, we need a Cyberman head. And the bald guy is like, uh, do we though? Like, do we need a Cyberman head? Spoilers for later. They did not need a Cyberman head. (laughs) Um, they didn't need to do a lot of this. No. So they're like, they're like, do we need a Cyberman head? And the guy, the balding guy is like, no, we totally need a Cyberman head. So they attack a Cyberman and they cut off its head. And then he throws the head at the bald guy. And he's like, all right, now hollow it out. And he's like, why would I need to do that? He's like, cause you're going to put it on your face. What? Yeah. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to. Uh, Han Solo, Chewbacca, the Death Star, this this <laughs> business, um, and uh, he's like, "That's so dumb." And he's like, "You got a better idea." And he's like, "No, I'm the dumb bald guy." Uh, so he he gets to work. Dumb bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes to work, hollowing out the Cybermen head, and just in time for us to cut back to the TARDIS, where the Cybermen is like, "Hey, kill kill that Perry woman." And the Cyberman's like, okay, and goes to kill her, and she screams, and that's our cliffhanger for part one. I will say that I I like that there only has to be one, like, bad fake-out cliffhanger instead of three. <laughs> I will say this. Part one is considerably better than part two. Well, yeah. In, in, that, in, in classic Doctor Who... And in classic Stephen King novel fashion, the setup is always much more intriguing than the payoff. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It kind of pains me to think about it that way because, like, part one, to me at least, is like just straight up terrible. But oh, yeah, um, I I hate this story. I don't know <laughs> if we've like talked about that before, but I hate this story so much. Um, this story kind of encapsulates to me everything I dislike about this era of Doctor Who. Um, and I also am not super into Eric Sayward as a writer, um, which, you know, considering he probably wrote most of this is probably why I don't like it. Um, (laughs) but I, like... I can kind of 
see where the um, that unofficial fan dude. Um, I always forget his last name. It's like Ian something. Ian um, Ian Ian, uh, shoot, Ian Levine. Levine, yeah. Because um, I think this this part is like interesting, but it's also like it gets mired in its own continuity, um, which happens a lot in the second part too. Um, and I, I kind of trace it to that guy because like, I don't know for me, Dr. Who like continuity, cause it's a time travel show. So continuity like doesn't matter. Um, and it's whenever they are very nitpicky about like continuity, um, it, I think it always kind of falls flat because they're ref- like frequently they're referencing a better story than the one that they're like, that's actually happening. Um, and by drawing that comparison, it kind of, the story always suffers, I think. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not, that that part of it isn't great. Um, I yeah, I mean it, it. It sucks that this couldn't just be a Cyberman story. It had to be like a sequel to two other stories, right? Uh, but it's also it's also them. I think trying to win over Doctor Who fans and not really knowing how or why or right. yeah. Yeah, because because at this point, you know, they introduced Colin Baker last season, and everyone hated him so much, and so they just they're beating them over the head with the history of Doctor Who and the story, right? Um, and it's uh, it's a bit much, and and they're doing that while while at the same time spending so little time with this new Doctor. Yeah, I their- also like Eric Sayward. I think especially in um, Colin Baker era. He mm-hmm. has no interest in the doctor. Like he's always interested in the 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 characters that he comes up with, which I understand cuz they're your characters, but he doesn't do a good job of like balancing it. Um so like I mean with the twin dilemma last time, like the doctor and Perry were like in the TARDIS for over half of the story and then like they kind of collide with the plot which also happens here that it takes them less time, but they're very like isolated. And then they just kind of like, they, they don't actively, well, I guess the doctor actively seeks it out, but that's because the plot wants him to like, they, they aren't like agents of the story. The story just kind of happens and they're there, you know, Mm -hmm. um, which I, works sometimes if you do it right but he is not interested in doing it right or doesn't know how to do it right you know Mm -hmm. um so i don't know i'm like not i mean he's he's arguably the worst script editor the show ever had i Um, mean he's definitely like i think he's memorable because of what he brings to the table but everything he brings to the table sucks. So, <laughs> um, so but at least he's memorable. Yeah. I, cause like it's, it, it's interesting that you brought up Robert Holmes. Cause 
like Robert Holmes, in my opinion, and I know a lot of people disagree, but um, Robert Holmes, in my opinion, is like the greatest script editor, or at least one of them. Um, Who could and, possibly disagree with that? Oh, there's a lot of like fans. Me. Who don't, <laughs> there's a lot of fans that I've encountered um, like back in ye old days on like Blogspot when I was editing the blog um, who were not into Robert Holmes and they're more into like the like the like 70s campy stuff, which is fine. Like that's just not what I'm interested in. Um, oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting that Eric Sayward was trying to like copy Robert Holmes. Like, I don't know, like all good intentions, I guess, because like well because because eric sayward i mean it's a known fact that eric sayward was a huge fan of robert holmes because he, yeah. he kept he kept trying to bring him back to write episodes <laughs> yeah and uh and robert holmes kept begrudgingly coming back and writing an episode um here and there and and kept he kept basically leaning on robert holmes to save the show when he when he couldn't figure out how right um, so, so yeah, I mean, I just, I think, I think it's, it's a situation where, you know, he really likes Robert Holmes, but he doesn't understand why. Yeah. And he doesn't, you like, know, he doesn't know what, um, like story components. Like, I think, cause the Robert Holmes era is also arguably like pretty violent and dark. Um, and like pretty much like you said earlier, it's like that's so funny. It is like the DC universe of Doctor Who because they're focusing on all uh, DC cinematic, cinematic universe. universe. Thank you very much. The Sorry. DC extended universe. Like the, the the current movie atmosphere of like DC <laughs> yes. stuff. That's not yeah. You know what I mean. The biblical um, timeline. <laughs> Where Superman <laughs> Superman's a dick. <laughs> Harley and Joker in a in a loving relationship. Uh, it's Rody like to the max. Rody to the max. Oh, you're quoting the Joker. <laughs> oh boy. Um, but yeah, no, like it's they're focusing on all the wrong things, or not like the wrong things, but like they're going about it in a way that does not work at all. Mm-hmm. Um. So. Yeah, no, all of that, all of that is uh, totally valid. Makes makes sense. Yeah, makes sense to me. And like, I guess because um, the eighties, like that's like the eighties aesthetic, but the eighties aesthetic doesn't really work for Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Um, it really, it really does feel like Eric Sayward was trying to turn Doctor Who into like a canon film. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like there's a scene in right at the end of part one where. Um, or what's his name? Lytton? Is that his, is that you say Lytton? Yeah, Lytton. Where he just just empties a clip into a into a Cyberman's mouth. Yeah. Yeah. And I was kind of like, oh, that's kind of cool, but it was like, this is not Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah. Because like you know my, my my you know my little eight year old boy brain was like, oh, you just shot that robot in the mouth, and then I was like, <laughs> <laughs> whoa. And then you know to say nothing about some of the things that happened in part two. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I, I believe I, I remember doing some preliminary research on the on the TARDIS wiki. Uh, this is actually one of the few Doctor Who episodes to get like an MA rating. 
Uh-huh. Because of the amount of blood and, and, and you know, the men, men are strangled by the Cybermen instead of, yeah. you know, the old, the old, the old shoulder touch that we, that we come to know and love. Right. Totally. So tell us about part two, Nick. Well, I'll, um, for the sake of brevity, I'll just, I'll, I'll just stick to the big stuff. So, uh, so, uh, surprise, Perry isn't dead. Um, <laughs> seconds, <laughs> seconds. Ap- no, not even, I think a second after the, uh, the scene that ends part one, the doctor's like, no, don't kill her. And Perry's like, oh, f- thank the maker. And for um, some reasons, the Cybermen listen to him. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> And so he set the TARDIS coordinates for uh, Telos, Telos, and uh, and is in a room with uh, Perry, Griffith, and Lytton. Lytton's like, "Hey, it's me. Uh, the Cybermen have captured a time ship, and uh, they're gonna they're gonna do some crazy stuff to it." And the Doctor's like, "How do you know so much about this?" And Lytton's like, "I'll never tell." And um, it turns out that in 1986, which in this timeline is the future. Uh, the doctor actually uh, destroyed or was kind of responsible for the destruction of Mondas. Uh, and so uh, the, the Cybermen are going to. So like there's OK, so have we talked about the cryons yet? No, because they don't come up until part two, I don't think. OK, cool. So so they came. So there are these race of of other other tinfoil people called the cryons. <laughs> And they need to be they need really they need a really cold environment. So the Cybermen are annihilating the Cryons and using their their sub-zero refrigerated cities to store cyber troops of their own army after the doctor kind of destroyed their their base in 1986. Is that a reference to something that happened before that I just haven't seen yet? Yeah, it's um, it's Hartnell's last story, actually. Oh, okay. So an old school story. Yeah, it's the first Cybermen story. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. So, so there, there are references to one, two, th- three different stories, right? Tenth Planet, Tomb of the Cybermen, and uh, Resurrection of the Daleks, right? Yeah. And this is yes. more. This is more than the current show, even. Oh, oh, and on an Earthly Child, obviously. So oh, like, right, yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> so four, four major references. That's absurd. Yeah, I mean, imagine, imagine like a, a David Tennant episode with that much fan service. Yeah, I mean, that's oh, really all. That's all it is: is fan service. It's obnoxious. Oh, by the way, have we talked about um, this? Is I don't know why I'm doing this now, but um, do we have news to talk about after we're done co- covering this episode? Not all I know is that they they are finished with the uh, the block one filming, and um, they've, they've they've started production on block two. That's all I know. I read the other day that they they officially confirmed that David Tennant is staying on past season ten. David Tennant or uh, that, that uh, Peter Capaldi, that, yeah, Peter Capaldi <laughs> is staying on past season ten. Did we have we not talked about that already? I thought we had. I don't think we had yet. Oh, okay. Well, he's, is that he's is that official or is that rumored? Still? It's official. Oh, okay. All right. So that's um, interesting. And there was also some really cool quotes about Stephen Moffat saying that he's going out of his way. To not um, really add a lot of pomp and circumstance to his final episode, hmm. that he really wants it to just be like another episode. <laughs> so he's uh, he's he's cutting Russell T a good one, is he? 
Yeah. <laughs> well, he actually, he actually, he actually gave a kind of charming quote where he was like, "I'm worried that if I try to do something like wrestle T, then it'll just backfire in my face, and no one will care, and then my ego will get hurt. So I'd rather just like quietly end rather than try to make a big to do of it and have it backfire. Kind of, kind of like time of the doctor. Um. Anyway, yeah, so, good for him. So speaking of sabotage, the doctor uh, <laughs> goes to town on the navigational controls and uh, then the, rather than cyber control, the TARDIS lands in the catacombs of the cryon world and it assumes the shape of a gateway because uh, he fixed that chameleon circuit and um, the Cybermen are immediately attacked by a crazed rogue Cyberman who has been driven insane by, I, I guess he, I guess he's gone tomb crazy, I guess. Tomb crazy. (laughs) He's I've got the tombs crazies. And um, so they're distracted by that. And then, uh, you know, Perry, Lytton and Griffiths escape. Perry is rescued by some cryon freedom fighters who are amazing. And um, they find out that they've actually answered Lytton's distress call. And he was actually kind of in a a Kingdom of the Crystal Skull like move has actually been manipulating the Cybermen to bring him to Telos. And the Cryons have hired him to stop the Cybermen from destroying their world and and like all their troops are gone and they're trying to steal the time vessel to prevent um, the controller uh, from, you know, from succeeding. Um, so, and, oh, and by the way, he's getting paid in diamonds, which on Telios are actually not that, uh, not that rare or valuable. So they're just like, here, just, 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 they're just throwing diamonds at him. Like, take them Which I have to question because it's just like, I, I mean, presumably they're being made the same way. Otherwise, they're not really diamonds. Sure. So they've got to be some sort of rare, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, that you, you have to cut away at the, at the, at the rock, right? To get a diamond. Yeah. <laughs> it's really silly, you guys. Not a lot of thought was put into this episode. Isn't there a planet in the galaxy where it rains diamonds? I think so. I remember Hmm. remember reading about that on like one of those like science porn, like Twitter. You know what I mean? Weird. Yeah. Um, That would be, that would be nuts. Maybe this is the planet where that happens. Nice. Um, (laughs) How sad would it be if we find intelligent life and they're just crying? By the way, by the way, the scions, can we talk about the fact that they, they just, they look like, they're like mustachioed lady, like well, like that's ladies. the thing. It's like they have like little billy goat beards, but the one that we, the one that the doctor talks with Flast is a woman. But they all are, I think. They're at least all played by women. Yeah, but like they have like weird little. I mean, I don't, I don't mean to you know assign gender conformity to these robots, but it was just. <laughs> it, I don't think they're robots. They're like <laughs> these weird, like bearded fish ladies. Like, yeah, yeah, but they kind of they're look, like kind of scaly, but yeah. they kind of look like cousins of the Cyberman. They don't look really that much different from them. They well, look like- I, I think they're just I, I think what you're mistaking it for for cousin kinship is just leftover material that they <laughs> use to create them. Gotcha. Everyone's metallic, like the same budget. Yeah. So they pronounced so they pronounced sirens or sirens. Sirons, si- si- yeah, Cyrons. like 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 you're mispronouncing crayons. <laughs> okay, I've been I've been, well, I've been pronouncing them crayon for the past few minutes. So anyway, oh the, oh, the, maybe it is crayon. Yeah, crayon. You're okay. right. Um, yeah, it's like crayon, but without the a. Okay, crayon. so so the, so the crayons are fighting a very unsuccessful guerrilla war against the Cybermen. 
where they're sabotaging the tombs to try and delay the Cybermen taking over their their home. Um, so the Cybermen has a plan to prevent Monda's destruction by traveling back in the time vessel and diverting Haley's Comet, which I don't think we've even... So Haley's Comet into Earth before Mondas has observed too much energy. So they're like going back in time to alter the course of Haley's Comet. You got that? Um, <laughs> Litton, meanwhile, Lytton and Griffiths find two escaped prisoners outside the city, our old friends, and uh, they convince the group to, to rise up and, uh, and capture the time vessel because uh, they need at least three people to operate it. And um, Lytton's like, look, if we don't do this, we're all going to die. And the prisoners are like, we all know how this is going to end. We might as well just team up with this guy. <laughs> and so, um, so they head into a hidden tunnel, which leads directly to the cyber control room. And uh, right as they're um, climbing, there's like a scene. There's like a really extended scene where they literally just show each and every member of this group climbing up a ladder. Like that's everyone. called uh, that's called time filling. Yes. And then right at the very end, uh, uh, Lytton is just kind of grabbed by the ankle. And then everyone's like, leave him. He's gone. It's too late. <laughs> just leave him for dead. Um, the doctor is not happy about the Cyberman's plan. Because they're they're you know they're altering the laws of time and space and you know if the doctor stands for one thing he stands for the laws of time and space. Um, Lol. Lol. <laughs> JK. Um, hey, you want to see the beginning of time, girl? I'm into you right now. I'll show you. I'll show you right before. I have never shown this to anyone before. Anyone. We definitely do- won't run into any of my other selves at the beginning of <laughs> I don't Wait. do this. That would be that would else. be a really that would be a really fun short story of just like the doctor with all of his companions. Oh yeah, like, showing like, up at the same time period just to show off something. Yeah, that turns out that like that turns out that like the moment of the big bang is kind of like his make out point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you take all your companions here? No. Beep, 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 or beep. And then <laughs> you see like 10 like waving and the, the doctor's like, get out of here. <laughs> um, so, not cool. Not cool. Not cool. Oh, my God. So uh, <laughs> um, the doctor, so the doctor um, kills, kills a, kills a Cyberman in, in, in one of many unrealistic bursts of uh, un, uncharacteristic bursts of violence that he has um he murders a guard and um is like come on let's go and then flashed this cry and is like i cannot leave because i will boil i need <laughs> it, i need it to be really cold um but i will use the lance to detonate the vastiel and destroy the cyber control room uh meanwhile lighten is in a Lytton is having a very bad time he's like 40 percent cyberman at this point um, and the doctor and Perry reunite and, uh, make their way separately to the TARDIS where they lure the guards out. And then, uh, the doctor just, just goes Rambo on them. Uh, <laughs> it's, really just, it's just weird. It's just really weird. I, I mean, think, I think the biggest problem with the violence in, in this is that if they were going to go violent, they cast the wrong doctor. I think that's, that's the whole thing because, you know, John Pertwee, he, he has his fair share of violence. I mean, it's silly. Like, like, and you can imagine. Silly, it's yeah. silly judo chopping violence, but right. it's not. It's still violence. And But you, you buy it because it's John Pertwee. 
But with this, it's just like this guy isn't killing well, anybody. This guy isn't beating up cops. Well, because like, and, <laughs> and kind of and I, I I don't want to be unkind to to any of the doctors, but you know, Colin Baker just in 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 so far in what I've seen, he kind of has like a very bratty kind of stuck up vibe to him. Sure. Where like, yeah. Whereas like you know like uh you know like we all know that Matt Smith could be could be bratty sometimes and. You know, the doctor, part of the charm is the doctor can be things like grumpy and irritable and, but it's always kind of in a, in a cool, not a cool, but like in an endearing way. But Colin Baker just kind of comes off as like, you know, a rich, like, you know, daddy's boy. It's really funny that you say that because initially like their plan was like a long game, like of character development, I guess. So he's supposed to be like. This bratty, like, the analogy is, like, like Mr. Darcy, like, in Pride and Prejudice. So, like, this, like, haughty guy who thinks he's correct about everything and then he, like, kind of finds his place and is a better person. Uh, um, yeah, but whereas... Just, like, just in time to regenerate. Yeah, exactly. Sure. <laughs> yeah, but, like, if you look at... And, but if you look at... See, my thing about... That's a brilliant idea because, you know, Mr. Darcy, but the thing about Mr. Darcy is he was fascinating you know you you like especially you know both the reader and liz were kind of like oh he just i just want to oh but god he's so hot you know (laughs) or just oh he has a sister that i never knew about oh my god he has layers oh my god you guys oh my god darcy you know like colin firth or what what's his name from the joe wright movie who i think is really good Mm -hmm. um anyway i didn't mean to talk about prejudice that much but uh (laughs) so um so the doctor's I mean that Lytton Lytton is like, please kill me. I don't want to live like this. Um, the doctor's like, that's not my bag. Uh, <laughs> look, dude, no. I'm, not, I'm not that kind of I'm not that kind of doctor. Um, and then uh, the controller comes out, and Lytton, in a final um, burst of humanity, um, is able to take control of the uh, the controller's weapon and uh, kills both of the Cybermen guards and the controller, but uh, costs his own life in the process and it makes the doctor a sad and then the episode ends. Yep. <laughs> He's like, I misjudged him. Well, better start then- hitting the old dusty trail and then just leave. <laughs> yeah. And like, I guess was the whole point of that episode that the doctor had like, had like judged him wrong because that really wasn't, he didn't start the episode out with very strong opinions of Lytton. He just kind of ran into him. You know what I mean? Right. It's just, um, it was a it was a really weird ending to the story. I think because like he's like a villain ish in like the last time we saw it, which I honestly don't remember at all. Um, I thought they were just like making stuff up again. Um, it's like, oh yeah, the doctor <laughs> knows this guy. Like whatever. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's a weird place to end it. Not the best. <laughs> no. Um, did we talk about the hand crushing? No. We did because not. Because the, the Cybermen, the Cybermen crush Lytton's hands. Um, and it's really bloody. <laughs> and uh, it's bad. It's real bad. 
I mean, they don't even try to make the effect work. They just obviously had him squeezing blood packets, but somehow it still manages to be super gross. Mm -hmm. It's kind of this whole episode is kind of like what the movie that the kids in Super 8 were making. Yeah. (laughs) A little bit. Uh, Yeah, so they're trying to get him to talk and they crush his hands to get him to talk and he still doesn't talk and his hands get crushed and it's. It's all bad. And then they turn him into a Cyberman and he stabs a Cyberman. He stabs a Cyberman. There's blood sprays everywhere. It's a green, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, it's Cyberman blood. Mostly like, oil. Like Vulcan. Cyber blood. <laughs> Cyber blood. That's Cyber villain. blood. That's a villain in Suicide Squad. <laughs> I'm Cyber blood. <laughs> That's believable. Um, yeah, it's uh, not great. Not great. Not great, Bob. Not great. Um, oh, it is great. Our website at duelinggenre.com. Um, you can also email us at contact at thedoctorscompanion.us. Um, Twitter, we're on Twitter. It's at TDCpod. Um, mm-hmm. Tumblr, thedoctorscompanionpodcast.tumblr.com. Um, we are all over social media, Facebook, um, Check us out on Facebook, um, iTunes. If you subscribe there, leave us a, a five-star review. That'd be awesome. We mm-hmm. would love you forever. Um, and we are also on uh, Scott and Nick are on Back to the Future Minute, um, which is fun. Um, I mean, it is fun. You're, you're also <laughs> on occasionally. I'm on, yeah, I'm on, on Once a Movie. Um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and we also have, um, Geek by Night, which if you haven't checked that out yet, um, yeah, would you direct it? Yeah. The 10th episode just came out. Um, I'm really proud of it. Um, so you have 10 episodes to binge listen to if you so desire to, which Mm -hmm. you should. Um, we're both proud of you. Oh, thank you. Um, and if you would like to, uh, support our efforts, um, you can find us on Patreon, where uh, duelinggenre.com slash support. Um, and we also have a one-time donation uh, PayPal button. So if you don't want to uh, put your information into Patreon, you can uh, hit us up on PayPal. Um, and we also have merch, which is super exciting. You can buy our faces on a shirt if you are into that. Uh, <laughs> or a poster and- <laughs> or a or any, any other kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and, uh, very special thanks to, uh, our Patreon associate producer, uh, Leaper182. And, uh, next time we will be talking about, uh, Sylvester McCoy's second story, uh, Paradise Towers. Yeah.